Uh, good morning, everyone. Glad you are here. And uh, if you are a guest with us, especially, thanks for being here. Been out of town for a few weeks. It's good to be back and uh, see all your smiley faces. Uh, some of you are smiling. And uh, we are going to turn to Acts chapter 20 uh, and continue our study of the book of Acts. So let me pray because um, without the Holy Spirit's guidance, uh, we're going to go nowhere this morning, right? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege we have to open up what the, the word that you have given us, the inspired and errant word. This is your heart. You've communicated to us. And in these stories, these, this narrative of the early church from the book of Acts, Father, um, lead us into that truth of Acts 20 today. We present ourselves to you and just humbly ask that you will teach us and equip us and change us. Conform us more in the image of Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I want to thank Tim and, and Caleb for adding into their very always busy ministry life a time in the pulpit. But um, Acts chapter 20. David Robinson grew up here at Fellowship Bible Church. His parents, Robbie and Joyce Robinson, were one of the original four uh, couples that started Fellowship Bible Church 43 years ago, along with Charlie and, and Margaret Richardson, who are still members here at FBC. Um, David graduated from high school here, uh, went on to the Naval Academy at Annapolis, uh, became a fighter pilot, um, a Top Gun instructor, uh, rose to the ranks of colonel in the Marine Corps, and uh, recently he has written a book on leadership, the substance of leadership. And in the introduction to his book, he writes this, leading well demands personal accountability, self-sacrifice, self-discipline. It require, requires courage and perseverance and entails tremendous time and energy. It takes extraordinary focus because your plate is always overflowing. You're constantly under pressure. The problems keep coming. Uncertainty and volatility abound, and people are complicated. The expectations on you are high, and the burden of leadership can be heavy. And it's the, often a lonely job. But then he adds, but I can't think of many endeavors in life where you can have more impact and make more of a difference in people's lives than the profession of leadership. Now, David, as he writes in his book, um, he's well aware that leadership can make or break an organization. It can make or break a company, uh, um, a country. It can make or break a local church. Um, when it comes to leadership, in the church at the local church level. The passage we're going to look at this morning will emphasize how very, very important biblical leadership, godly leadership is to the life of the church. So Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his third missionary journey and he's heading back home, back to Jerusalem. And uh, it says in verse um, 16 and 17 that Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So he goes to Miletus, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called to him the elders of the church. So um, Paul is on this journey, third journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem. Now he had spent like three years in Ephesus. He planted that church. Those people were really dear to Paul, but he decides to go past Ephesus because he's heading, he's on a, He's got an agenda. He wants to be back in Jerusalem by the, the day of Pentecost. Um, Lisa and I 
spend some time, uh, as always, once a year back home in Nebraska. Uh, we know half the state in Nebraska. Uh, relatives and friends and college friends and who, all sorts of people. And you've been there, not necessarily in Nebraska, but you've been there where you've got to kind of organize your time because you've got so many people to see. The question is, who do you not see? Um, and it gets a little weary. We were also able to get away just by ourselves uh, for 10 days um, somewhere else. I, I don't know why Paul passed Ephesus, other than maybe he just realized, I'll never make it to Jerusalem in time because there's so many people I would want to see. And so he passed Ephesus, he goes to Miletus, and he called for the elders of the church to meet him in Miletus. Now, let me zero in a little bit on the map on, on Miletus and Ephesus. Ephesus up there to the north and Miletus. It's about 30 miles or so as the crow flies. But as you can see, to get from Ephesus to Miletus, there are, there's water you've got to traverse, there's mountains. It's an arduous journey. There's no direct route from Ephesus to Miletus. Um, some writers have said it's easily maybe a 50 or 60 mile journey. Four days, three, four, five days of a journey to go from Ephesus to Miletus. Now here's the question. Why would people drop what they're doing and go to Miletus? I mean, Miletus of all places, why would you go there to see Paul? I mean, someone comes to Ephesus and tells the, the elders, the, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the church, hey, Paul would like to see you. He's in Miletus. M Miletus? I mean, could he get any closer than that? What, what would compel these people to drop what they're doing and go see Paul, an arduous journey of maybe 50, 60 miles in a roundabout way over mountains and through the woods to Paul and go visit him. I think it has something to do with the quality of the leadership of Paul. Something about Paul in the three years that he was there drew these leaders to be willing to drop whatever they were doing, go four or five days to meet with Paul. What was that? What was it about Paul? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 17, it says this, from Miletus, he sent to, the, uh, to Ephesus, called the elders, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now, what sort of characteristics marked Paul? What do we see in, in these verses? What kind of a leader was Paul that drew these people to come see him? Well, first and foremost, the emphasis here is that Paul understood his, his role as a servant of the Lord Jesus. He said, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, I was with you the whole time serving the Lord, serving the Lord. It's a word that is used, by the way, of the most menial um, position in the ancient world. Literally a slave, one who, would, who was um, uh, under the authority completely as a slave to someone else. And Paul said, that's me to the Lord. Paul was a great leader because he understood who his master was. Now, he served people, but if a leader is primarily focused on serving people, 
and not first serving the Lord, you're going to, you want to please the people you serve. And Paul had said in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, he said, I was not a people pleaser. His heart was to please his master, the Lord. I served the Lord. That was the focus of Paul, not his own personal interests, not even the interests of others. Paul was focused on the Lord. And because of that orientation of his heart to serve his master, and he had that correct, what flowed from him was humility. Paul's heart hemorrhaged humility. Why? Well, that word humility is a compound word. It's made up, made up of two words, lowly and mind, lowliness of mind. It's a way a person perceives themselves, how a person thinks about themselves. In light of who God is, in light of God's word, Paul was serving the master, the sovereign Lord. Paul said, God is sovereign, I'm not. God is omniscient, I'm not. God is the one who is all-powerful, I'm not. And so therefore, Paul had no problem not promoting himself. He would promote the Lord because he understood that right relationship. He had a high thoughts of God, low thoughts, proper thoughts of himself. That's humility. By the way, it was a word that you wouldn't want to be caught dead with in the ancient Greek, uh, Greek uh, Roman world of being labeled. That, that was humility. That word was not complimentary in, an ancient, in the ancient world. You did not want to be called a humble person. That was a slap in the face. It, it was distinctively used in a Christian context because of who our Savior was, who humbled himself and took the form of a slave and served us by dying for us. And Paul, that was his character. That was his attitude. I served the Lord with humility and with tears. You think you can follow somebody like that? You think you can drop everything and walk 50, 60 miles to spend time with them? That's what these guys did from Ephesus. When I was a student at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, um, I was involved in a, a really good local church there, uh, a Bible church. And um, one of the elders there was a man by the name of Tom, Tom Piper. Tom was a, a big guy. I mean, he was a, a, a monster of a man. I mean, I literally looked up to him. Uh, he, he had graduated from Dallas Seminary. That's where I was going. He was on staff uh, at a prestigious Christian organization called Back to the Bible Broadcast. Some of you may remember that. Theodore Epp started it. Warren Wearsby uh, took it over, back to the Bible broadcast. Well, Tom was the chief, the editor-in-chief of the publications uh, that went out from back to the Bible broadcast. He'd speak at different conferences all over. I mean, he was a, he was a bigwig in Christian ministry, and he was an elder at the church I attended. But Tom was a, a gentle giant, and he, for some reason, took a liking to me. <clears throat> he and his wife would have me over for dinner and and uh, visit with me. He had a huge library. I was just enamored with his library and, and uh, biblical resources. And just the time that he spent, he was a gentle soul. He was humble. And he spent time with a young college collegian uh, to share Jesus with him. Uh, people will follow someone who is serving Lord, the Lord with a humble spirit and will serve others in tears. Um, Paul was up. A godly leader, a heart of humble humility. But second of all, 
Paul's leadership, I think, is also seen in how he spoke and, and what he spoke, the message that he shared. So look at um, verse 20. Paul said this, I did not shrink from declaring, from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house and solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are three uh, words that are used for Paul's um, communication here. He said, I didn't shrink from declaring, proclaiming anything that was profitable. He taught publicly from house to house, and he solemnly testified to both Jews and Greeks about the Lord. He proclaimed, he declared it, he, te he taught it, and he testified to it. In other words, Paul was a teacher of truth. And it said there, he said, I did not shrink from doing that. That's a word that would imply hesitancy um, in the midst of uh, difficult circumstances or, or potential problems, to shrink in fear. And Paul said, I did not shrink. I was not intimidated by people. Paul stood up and he spoke up. And he didn't, he didn't um, refrain from sharing anything that would not have been profitable for the, for the church. Both Jews and, and Gentiles, no matter if he was in opposition, he didn't focus on how is this going to impact people? How, how are they going to respond to this? Are they going to like me afterwards? Are they going to, you know, am I, it's just going to cause up some problems? No, Paul just shared the truth of God. He proclaimed it. He declared it. He taught it. He solemnly testified to it. And he didn't care what the response would be. He didn't shrink back. Verse 27, he reemphasizes that when he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. I mean, he let it go, the truth of God, because he knew it was profitable, because all God's Word is profitable to train us and equip us. There's a third thing about Paul's leadership, and that is that there was a, a, a proper inner motivation with Paul. Look at verse 22. He says, and now behold, bound or compelled by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was powerfully motivated. There was this, this inner motivation to fulfill his mission and his calling, to proclaim the gospel of the grace of God. You know, Paul never forgot where he came from. He never forgot the fact that he was on a road to Damascus to kill some, himself some Christians, when Jesus showed up, shone into his life, and called him into ministry to serve him and to use this persecutor of the church for his glory. And Paul said, Jesus set me on a course. The word is, it can be translated a race. It says, comes out of that, that ancient Olympic, uh, uh, the stadium, the running the race. And Paul said, Jesus grabbed me. I was running that race he grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and he put me into his course on his race. 
And he said, there's nothing that's going to deter me from finishing that course, inner motivation, because he was bound by the Spirit of God in spite of conflicts, in spite of uh, hardships. Paul said, nothing's going to deter me from finishing that race because I've been called to it. I'm bound by the Holy Spirit to do it. Inner motivation. A fourth thing about Paul's godly leadership, it's seen in this, in this inner um, resolve, this inner, I think, this peace, this confident peace. It says in verse 25, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face, and therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul could look back at his life and those years of ministry in Ephesus, and there was a, a confident peace. He said, I went door to door. I, I did not hesitate to declare the truth of God. I let it all out. I mean, I put it all out there. I, I'm innocent of the blood of all because I fulfilled the calling that God had called me to. And he was confident in that. For three years, he had faithfully, relentlessly, purposefully proclaimed the message of truth. And he, just, he was at peace with that. He knew his calling, and he fulfilled it in Ephesus. What an example of godly leadership from the life of the Apostle Paul. But we look at verse 28, and we come to really the challenge of why he called the Ephesian elders to come to Miletus. Verse 28 is key. Verse 28 says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The heart of Paul's challenge to the leadership, to the spiritual leadership of the church was to be on guard. The New King James says, take heed. The English Standard Version, pay careful attention. The NIV says, keep watch. Be in a state of continual perpetual awareness. Don't fall asleep on the job. Be aware, be diligent, keep on the lookout, be alert. Now, Paul was calling the elders of a church to be like the the secret service for the church. You know, the guys with the dark glasses who are always watching around, never looking, you know, making sure the president's safe. Be on guard, be vigilant, be always aware. That's the role of elders because that's what it means to shepherd. The imperative, be on your guard, is, uh, uh, explains what it means with the infinitive to shepherd the flock of God. The infinitive to shepherd is explained by this is how you do it. You have to be on guard. You have to be vigilant. Now, we'll see in just a moment what they have to be on guard for, the truth of God's Word and not false teaching. But he starts by saying, first and foremost, be on guard for yourselves, for yourselves. Godly leadership starts by guarding oneself first. Spiritual leader starts by being able to lead oneself. Guard yourself first. That's where it starts. Paul wrote to his young friend in the faith, Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching and persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Watch yourself, Timothy. 
pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. That's what uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your hearts, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. Guard your heart. It starts there. But he's telling these leaders, the elders of the church, the spiritual overseers of the church, you've got to guard the flock. That's your main role, the main purpose. Church elders are to be vigilant. They are to be watchful. They are not to fall asleep on the job when it comes to being spiritual overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now that word, overseers, um, you'll recognize it. It's a Greek word, episkopos. It's where we get our word episcopal. Uh, and it has to do with uh, the function of, of that spiritual guidance, that spiritual leading, of overseeing, of being spiritual managers, oversight, episkopos. Uh, there's another word Paul used for the elders back in verse 17, and it's, you'll understand this word too. It's the word presbyteros. It's where we get the word presbyterian. That has more, I think, to, to focus. It connotes more of the idea of one's age and one's maturity and wisdom, presbyteros, so that you can function as an episkopos, as an overseer, a spiritual overseer to guard the church. That's the role of elders. They have to keep watch over the spiritual lives of the flock. Writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. That, he writes that to the church. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Give an account to whom? To the Lord, the chief shepherd of the church. I mean, this is serious stuff. That, uh, this is such a powerful passage because it speaks to the, to the value of the church and it speaks to the value of church leadership within the church. And just want to make three more observations on verse 28, just real quickly, three other things. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, and it says, among which the Holy Spirit, among which, it doesn't say over which, it says some, some authoritarian um, dictatorial rule over, that's not what elders do among which, and he's by just using that little preposition, which, by the way, the old King James says over which, and it, it, I think that was a mistranslation. It's a, among which, look, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're all together in this journey. And the role of spiritual leaders is not to lord it over, it's to be among and to serve together with the body of Christ. Among which... And then, second of all, it says, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Serving in the role of elders, the spiritual leadership of the church, is not a popularity contest. <laughs> it's not who garners the most votes to serve uh, on the church board. What Paul is saying here is that the spiritual leaders of the church are designated that, first and foremost, by God himself. The Holy Spirit does this. That's an awesome responsibility. And the word that is used there, the Holy Spirit has made you, um, that, that word, it was used back in chapter one, and I'll jar, jar your memory a little bit. Chapter one, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He gathers his disciples, and the disciples say, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem? You remember that back in chapter one? Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom back to Jerusalem? And what does Jesus tell them? 
He said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs that the Father has fixed by his own authority, that he has ordained. It's the exact same word. The Holy Spirit, God himself, ordains people to be leaders in a local church. And it's a responsibility of the church, the, the, the congregation of the church, to see that, to recognize it, to affirm it based on the qualities and the characteristics that are laid out in Scripture for us. But the Holy Spirit makes you overseers. The third thing, he says you're to shepherd the church of God, which is purchased with his own blood. Which is purchased with his own blood. Does that not make the local church something of great value? Now Paul continues and explains why it is so important that these things characterize the leadership in the church. Why is it so important? Why would he call the Ephesian elders to take a four-day trip through an arduous journey through all sorts of different terrain to meet him in Miletus? To share what? Guard yourself and guard the flock. Why? Look at verse 29. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, this metaphor of the, of, the, of the sheep and the shepherd and the wolves. And then he said, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert and remember, and he gives himself as an example again, night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you with, fears, with, with tears. Paul Paul was burdened for the church. He was burdened because he knew that false teachers could arise from without and from within. And they could speak things that didn't line up with the truth of God's word and could draw away, he said, could, could sway people's thinking. It sounds really good. I mean, it's kind of kind of cool. It's kind of, it, it seems to mesh with the cultural milieu of the day. I mean, it's, it's kind of what what would be uh, palpable for the world to hear. I mean, some of the stuff we teach is pretty archaic, right? 2,000-year-old stuff. It doesn't really wash with the common world today and our current culture. Hmm. Paul says, be careful, because people are going to come into the church and they're going to start doing that kind of stuff, and they're savage wolves, and watch it, because it can happen even among yourselves. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that spiritual leaders of a church Guard the teaching ministry of a local church. Because what a man thinketh in his heart, what a woman thinks in his heart, so are they. The most defining thing about us right now, sitting right here, is what we perceive to be true. Because we will live out, we will shape our behavior based on what we believe to be true. And the problem is, we're born sinners. We come into this world already with our minds skewed because of sin. And then it's shaped and fashioned by, well, growing up in a home that we had imperfect parents that shaped us. Or life situations and, and pains and trauma that enter our life that help shape our thinking. And, and all of a sudden, we're also immersed in a world that sounds really good, some of the stuff. I mean, it sounds really and we can get swayed by that. And the only thing that is true in this world is God's Word. 
It is the inspired, inerrant, heart, word, mind of God that he, when he moved upon holy men of old to pick up that quill and scribble on their parchments, what they were writing was the inspired, inerrant, heart, mind, will, the thoughts of God. And it's contained for us in a book, folks. And the leaders of the church have to be diligent to understand and follow the book because we are susceptible to being swayed by things that are not true. And it destroys life. Air will destroy life. Paul was concerned about that when he wrote his young friend Titus, who was left in Crete, the island of Crete, to set up the, the new church that was there. Paul wrote Titus, and he told Titus to to find these elders, these leaders who hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that they'll be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, Titus 1.9. It is crucial to have leaders who are grounded in the word and care about God's word and God's truth and will make sure that the church is following that. Well, Paul closes his message now to the Ephesian elders, verse 32. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, I'm leaving. I'm not going to see you any longer, but I commend you to the Lord. I can walk away from here, Paul. I can sail on that ship and I have perfect peace. God is in charge and he's the chief shepherd. Chief shepherd. I'm going to commend him to you commend you to him. And then Paul gives this final exhortation about his own life. He says um, in verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver, gold, clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. By the way, you'll never find that in the gospel account that phrase, that word. But Jesus spoke those words and it was handed down in traditions. Uh, so Jesus spoke those words. We don't, it's not recorded, but it, those were words that were lost in um, other, many other things Jesus said, John wrote and conveyed. But Jesus had said it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And spiritual leadership involves giving, sacrifice. And it says after he said these things, um, he knelt down, he prayed, and they began to weep aloud, and they embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving because of the word which he had spoken. They would see his face no longer, and they had accompanied him to the ship, and their time with Paul was over. But he left an indelible impression, an imprint of godly leadership and a challenge to the leaders of the church. Now, what are some takeaways for us? I think they're really obvious, and there's a whole bunch more in here, but we don't have the time. But let me just give you a few of them. I think this passage, first and foremost, speaks to um, the supreme importance and the value of the church of Jesus Christ. It is the body of Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are the sheep in his pasture. He is the good shepherd who gave his life. We are the body of Christ, the ones for whom Christ shed his blood to purchase from the slave market of sin. That, that there's, nothing, there's not another entity on the face of this earth that, that can say that. You know, you might belong to some prestigious uh, 
professional organization, the uh, alumni of some prestigious university, <clears throat> like the University of Nebraska, um, you can, um, yes, 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 and the N in our helmet stands for knowledge, and you know that. <laughs> you might belong to some other type of uh, worldly organization, and that's well and good. But if you know Jesus, you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, and there is nothing like the body of Christ. There's nothing like the church of Jesus Christ. Who else did Jesus descend from his throne in glory and shed his blood to redeem? And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you hold your head high because you are a member of the body of Christ, the church of the living God. And as such, we need to embrace what God cares for. In other words, God cares for how we treat one another. God cares how we serve one another. God cares how we function as a body so that we can present to this world the truth, the good news of Jesus. The world watches, and he wants a holy church, a sanctified church. He's in that work and that process. That's why he gives us his Holy Spirit and the truth of his word and each other so we can disciple each other and grow together and in fellowship and communion so that we are being shaped and fashioned into the image of Jesus so we can present Jesus to the world. There is nothing like the church. No other entity is going to do that but the body of Christ. Second of all, uh, oh yeah, here's Ephesians 1.23. This is what Paul wrote to that very same church, Ephesus. He is explaining that the church is his body and it is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills on. Folks, if you, if you know Jesus, don't take your Christian life, don't take your involvement in the local church for granted. And, and don't, don't take your spiritual growth and journey. Don't be content with mediocrity in your walk with Jesus. Um, we're, the, we're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ, and the world needs to see it. Well, second of all, this passage speaks, I think, to the importance of godly leadership within the church. See, if, if Jesus, if God values the church, certainly he values the leadership of the church. If the church is the flock of God, if Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church, you better believe he cares who the under-shepherds are, and it must not be taken for granted. Serving as spiritual leaders of a church, the role of elders, as I said earlier, it's not a popularity contest. It doesn't come about by how skillful a businessman someone is and people see how, how successful they've done with their money and how, how uh, their ability to, to maneuver with crowds or, or, or how gullible they are to be willing to serve. It has to do with one's heart and relationship and understanding they have one master and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of humility and even with tears, they serve him and being willing to serve the people and guard the truth. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give. And man, when you serve in a church role of leadership as an elder, you are giving your lifeblood. You are, you are serving um, like you've never served before. It's a calling, it's a commitment. Um, I think one of the reasons why God has blessed Fellowship Bible Church for 43 years is simply because of that fact. 
God has raised up godly men over the years, and yes, it's men. The role of men in the church and leadership. And over the years, God has raised up men to serve in that capacity who are imperfect, but understand they serve a perfect God. And even in their imperfections, look, we've done a lot of things wrong here, Fellowship Bible Church. We've got a lot of warts we do here. I mean, it's not like this is a perfect church, right? And as they say, if you ever find one, don't join it because you'll mess it up. (laughs) But imperfect men are willing to serve a perfect God. And I think over the years, Fellowship Bible Church has been blessed with that. Um, And God has been gracious in spite of imperfections. But here's the warning. Here's the third thing. Savage wolves are out there and care has to be taken. And I think this passage also speaks to the danger when ungodly leadership uh, is raised up who seek to destroy the church with unsound doctrine. Uh, A few years after Paul met with the Ephesian elders here at Miletus, he wrote a letter to that same church, Ephesus. And he said uh, to, to Timothy, who was the leader of that church and setting up the leadership of that church in Ephesus, and he wrote to Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, and he said, I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And later in chapter 3, that same letter, he writes this, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. That's what the local church is. Uh, we're in spiritual warfare all the time, are we not? Bible talks about, John talks about, we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, there's internal issues, our sin, our pride that we deal with. The world, the, the encroachment of the philosophy of the day, and ugh, it just, it's, it's changing so rapidly and it's, in, it's insidious and it's like a poisonous, noxious gas and it's finding its way even into the body of Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, it's warfare out there. Um, the church is supposed to be the pillar and support of truth. And that's why the leaders of the church need to be men who care for the truth and make sure they're overseeing the local church that truth will reign. Because either from without or even from within, that spiritual warfare can take root and a church can be destroyed. When I did my, as a young uh, seminarian, I did a summer internship, a pastoral internship. It was required at seminary. And I did my pastoral internship at a little church in in, uh, central Iowa, a little rural church. But man, it was on fire for Jesus. Young people were getting saved in the high school there was like 50 kids in a, this little community, 50 kids that had trusted Christ. They were leading their parents to Christ. The church was growing. There was excitement. I came this close, not going back to seminary at the end of uh, that summer internship because it was so dynamic. And I thought, oh man, that's just what I want to be a part of. I didn't, went back to seminary. And about two years later, I found out that the church had closed its doors. Why? what was a lack of leadership. And here's why. As that church began to grow, there were people that started coming into that church who came out of kind of rough backgrounds, you know, unsaved people, and then they get saved, and guess what? They don't become instant saints overnight. We're all bringing our baggage into the church in one way or another. 
Well, the leaders of the church couldn't handle that, and they started to get very, very legalistic. You can't do this, you can't say that, you can't go there, you can't be this, you can't do that. Legalism drove that church and it closed its doors. It was from within, and they didn't follow the scriptures of the grace of God. Paul said, I testify always to the gospel of the grace of God. It led that church to close its doors. And let us not be unaware that the fact that God has blessed this church for 43 years, but let me tell you, that doesn't guarantee tomorrow. And so we need to be vigilant, and we need to raise up the next generation. Um, the Apostle Paul had his, his, uh, his fellow apostle, John, when John wrote his uh, third epistle, John, uh, third John, to his friend Gaius, he said this, the elder, that's John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, he writes, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth. And here you continue to walk in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That was what was important. But then a few verses later, John wrote this. He said, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. And so if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Here was a leader within the church, Diotrephes, who began to see himself in a different role, puffed up, and he began to take charge. And he was ruining the church. And John writes to Gaius, his friend, he said, you're walking in truth, and there's no greater joy than when I see the children walk in truth, but not everyone is. It's dangerous. And elders need to watch over the church. One final thing. I think this passage also speaks finally that every believer in Jesus Christ, every one of us, no matter what area we serve, no matter what, how, what our leadership role is in a church, no matter what we do, our leadership within our homes, we need to be people who are carefully grounded in the truth of God's word so that we're not swayed or drawn away from there. We have a personal responsibility. You hear what I'm saying? We have a personal responsibility, each one of us, to be grounded in the word of God. To spend time in the scriptures, to search the scriptures. That means we cut out some time on TV or whatever, not go away with this or do that. It might mean just reorienting some things in our life so we spend a little more time in his word and learn and grow and then take advantage of what a local church like Fellowship Bible Church has to offer in terms of training and teaching. Paul said this, 2 Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God like a workman who does not need to be ashamed by rightly handling the word of truth. And even if there, God forbid, a failure in the leadership of a church, and all of a sudden they're not watching over the church, if we personally are grounded in his word, we can guard against that ourselves. And he calls us to be faithful workmen, not ashamed, as we rightly handle the word of truth. One of the last things the Apostle Paul preached to young Timothy, he said, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke with all patience, with all diligence. Teach the scriptures. I mentioned David Robinson at the beginning of my message. As he writes his book, The Substance of Leadership, he's got many years of experience as a Top Gun instructor, as a, as a, as a Marine colonel, 
a lot of things he can draw from, but my sneaky suspicion is much of what he writes about in leadership comes from his own father, Robbie. Robbie, by the way, for many years was an elder here at Fellowship Bible Church. He is turning 84 tomorrow. His birthday's tomorrow. And he's in the thralls of some advanced Parkinson's. But it's that role of leadership in the church. It is so crucial. It is so valuable. It is so needed. My last exhortation is pray for the elders of Fellowship Bible Church. Let's pray. Father, we realize that the the only hope this world has is that the church of Jesus Christ functions like a church is called to function. And that means that there's got to be godly leadership within the church. It means we have to pass on that deposit to the next generation of leaders. It's just not going to happen overnight. We're one generation away from total barbarism, Lord. Um, If we don't pass on the truth to the next generation and raise up the next generation of leaders. Because the, the Robbie Robinsons and the others who have served this church so faithfully over the years, they're passing on, Lord, and they have passed the torch on, and we need to continue to pick up that torch and run with it and pass it on to the next generation. Because it's so crucial, Father. You say it in your word. It is so crucial to have godly leaders in a church men of the book and so father we continue to ask you to guard our church this spiritual family and the leaders of this church and may you walk with us in your grace and in your power and your strength so that we can be a light and a salt in this community all for your glory we pray it in christ's name amen